Hey all, Pingu here. Welcome to part two of the unofficial NAFO podcast with Jack talking about Ukraine, the UK left, and totalitarianism. If you have not listened to part one, you should go do so right now. We'll be rating right here in our tank. If you have listened, we are now going to listen to about 40 minutes more of conversation, starting right now. You are listening to The Think Tank, the unofficial NAFO podcast, brought to you by your best brain-damaged dogs and friends. Now please welcome your hosts, Matt, the TOEFO CEO, and Joe Place. Okay, so this is the third and I guess the final part of this episode, and we are going to get to what we said we would talk about at the start. So this is generally the left in Ukraine. So just to give a brief overview, um, you know, we're talking about the left mostly in the West, in the UK especially, because we're all British here, and (laughs) we all have more experience of that. But I think it applies to other Western countries as well, particularly, and how you can find solidarity amongst the left amongst the right and the left and to generally to find find solidarity towards Ukraine and other countries who have been basically invaded, persecuted, anything like that, because a lot of left who fail to take up these causes. So, you know, ever since the, there's a history of it, the USSR, even ever since it existed, uh, the left has always been undivided um, on how to approach it. Even within the USSR, this happened, you know, you had people at the time who rejected the Bolsheviks who because they thought it was too authoritarian, but they considered themselves socialists or communists or anarchists. And, and th- there's different ideas about that. Um, and the same was happening in, th- in the West, in the UK. Many people supported it, thinking of it as a Western, as a, like a good movement and a model for a socialist society, an egalitarian society. Although a lot of this sort of changed a little bit later. But some on the left still didn't really like this idea, especially in Britain. You know, a lot of the working people who might have been trade unionists, sympathetic to the idea of socialism, they would have generally still regarded institutions in their country, you know, like the Queen and the as good. And so perhaps Bolshevism didn't appeal to them, but some ideas of socialism did. Uh, after Lenin died, uh, the left did have a, a quite a major split between the Trotskyists and the uh, the the Stalinists. So the, the the Stalinists wanted an authoritarian Russian-led Soviet Union, whereas Trotskyism apparently believes in an international revolution. Uh, a lot of people say, and I think correctly, that they're both as bad as each other. If Trotsky did take over the USSR, it would have been just as authoritarian as Stalin, just maybe a slightly different way. Uh, but also some people in the left also, especially seeing things like the Holodomor uh, and other things, they did really begin to reject the Soviet Union as a concept altogether, especially libertarian leftists or more moderate people like social democrats who were like, no, okay, we should have like a welfare state that's nationalised industry, but this is not the way to do it. 
Uh, and then obviously the Spanish Civil War was actually a major turning point for many people on the British left, the ones like George Orwell, who went over to Spain and saw the Soviet Union basically destroying any chance of fighting the fascists in many ways and getting involved and taking over a whole movement, you know, trying to crush the anarchists and other things like that. Interesting, I was reading about this. So apparently on the build up to World War II, to start with, a lot of the far left supported invade, uh, fighting the Germans. But then as soon as the Soviets signed the uh, Molotov-Ribbentrop Treaty, they changed their minds and were against the war. And then finally, when the war started again for the Soviets, they then supported intervention. But obviously, yes, so this was an interesting time for the left. Uh, the next big change really was uh, a lot of people on the left who might have had some sympathies for the Soviet Union because of its fight against fascism, which was also Britain's fight, was the crackdowns in the Soviet Union in Hungary and Czechoslovakia, which is where we get the term tanky from, the people who support repressing these movements with tanks. That They were socialist movements, grassroots movements who just wanted more freedom within a communist society. But uh, the Stalinists thought that this was bourgeois, capitalist, reactionary nonsense and they should murder some students with tanks. And generally, this sort of, there was a split between the, what's called the Euro communists, as far as I understand, who were sort of against the Soviet Union and those who, the Trotskyists who believe in the Soviet Union want to reform it, and the tanky Stalinist or Marxist Leninist or whatever, who still believe that it's generally a good thing. After the Soviet Union collapsed many years later, obviously the various leftist groups in the UK split and went in various different directions. Some of them had some influence in the 80s before this within the Labour Party and other parts. Uh, but generally, they've become pretty relevant, most part. Some on the left, such as Workers' Liberty, have been actually quite good at uh, supporting Ukraine and have been major parts of the Ukraine Solidarity Movement and other things like that. But other parts of the far left have obviously failed, whether this has been Corbyn's weird stance emphasising NATO's role still or and being against sending weapons or, or, or whether we're talking about the groups, people like George Galloway, who used to claim or still might claim he's a socialist or other leftists as well, who blame NATO as much as Russia. Or they say they could hate Russia, but generally they seem to only talk about NATO. So, yes, the left is quite divided, at least online, it appears that way. But I actually don't think it is that divided. But this is what we're going to talk about now. But there is my brief summary of the British left stance on the Soviet Union and Ukraine. That was a lot of words, but yeah. <laughs> I actually want to add one thing to something you said there, because a lot of people yeah. don't know about this. Um, so you mentioned Eurocommunism. I want to mention a gentleman who, quite frankly, I think is incredibly important to not only the left, but also to the development of Europe. And his name is Altiero Spinelli. Now, Altiero Spinelli was a Euro-communist who despised the Soviet Union, and he also worked with European countries to found the foundations of what we now know is the European Union. He played a big role in trying to federalise Europe because he believed that whether you were communist, capitalist, socialist, whatever, you have to oppose authoritarianism. And he gets lost to time, because a lot of people tend to look at Trotsky and Stalin and Lenin, and in the more modern era, or I say modern, in the more modern times and compared to them, people tend to look at Fidel Castro, they look at Che Guevara, but people forget about Spinelli. And I found out the European Federalist Group, who is a pan-European 
guess we'd say think tank in some way, but they operate mm-hmm. in the European Parliament. They actually celebrate Altiero Spinelli, and they talk about how if he hadn't had been so militant on European federalism, we probably wouldn't have the European Union as it is today. So, and that is something people don't know that a Euro communist helped found what is basically now the European Union. And that's interesting because so many leftists, you know, I remember run up to Brexit, you know, the Lexiteers talk mm. about how, you know, EU is a capitalist neoliberal club and it's all terrible and we should leave it because somehow that will create socialism, which I found a really funny argument. But yeah, um, that's really interesting. I actually didn't know about that myself. I'd heard the name, but that's super interesting. He was one of the European commissioners, actually, as well for industry and entrepreneurship. And when mm-hmm. you consider that entrepreneurship is normally seen as a very right-wing idea, it's about the idea of having individualism and private property. When you consider that a Euro communist took great interest in that to the point where he actually took up a position of power, it's interesting to see how, especially on the left, there was that split, as you were saying, but it was a split very much are you liberal or are you authoritarian? And mm-hmm. the Euro communists were, I would argue, firmly on the liberal side. Yeah, it's, it's all very interesting. That's a really good addition. Uh, thank you for that. So, well, we've uh, had a bit of a history crash course from me. I imagine I'll be doing this quite often in other <laughs> podcasts. I think now we can talk about the state of the present day left and the, the left and the centre-left in the UK, uh, especially as we're all British, really, here today. So I guess, Jack, you can start. Like, what, How do you perceive it, like the, the different parts of the left, the relationship to Ukraine and Russia, I suppose, things like that? Oh, oh sweet Lord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you ready to be cancelled? Uh, no. Um, how I perceive the left, it's... It's an interesting one because I would say the most recent addition into this argument from John McDonald, who was arguing in favour of sending weapons to Ukraine, along with Clive Lewis and Dawn Butler, who I believe are members of the Socialist Campaign Group. It, it's mm-hmm. interesting to see how we are seeing, at least this is from like a parliamentary perspective and then from the white but from parliamentary wise it's interesting to see how people you would once regard as anti-war and this stop the war type politician are now i don't want to say come into their senses because that's quite it's quite demeaning but it's almost as if they are kind of seeing the situation for what it is and they've accepted that Saying, standing in standing in Trafalgar Square and shouting, "We need peace in Ukraine," is going to do nothing. You know, it does nothing unless you're putting pressure on the Russian embassy. You know, but even then, there's a lot of people that aren't. I think, from a wider UK context, I, I think you kind of touched upon it about the uh, divide between online leftists and in-person leftists. I think, on the whole. In Britain, the left is on Ukraine's side because there's a lot of people 
who may not talk about their politics openly, but if asked, regard themselves as, oh, you know, liberally, uh, liberal left. And mm-hmm. I would say a lot of those people support Ukraine, support the uh, fight against Russia, but there's definitely poison in this well. And that poison is in the form of Galloway, Williamson, Corbyn, these people that openly shill for authoritarian regimes. And I used to say they fail to realise the damage. But the problem is by saying they fail to realise, it gives it a sense as if they are they don't know any better. They refuse to realise, they refuse to accept that they are causing major damage to Ukraine by having these views, because as much as they may not be stalwart to the left, they still have considerable following, and they still convert people away from supporting self-determination mm-hmm. of Ukraine. And it really does bring up an interesting topic of the duality of these leftists, where you say, how can you support the self-determination of Palestine, but you won't support the self-determination of Ukraine? It's it, it raises very a lot of questions, which really you you need to delve deeper, I think. But the problem is with a lot of these people, if you ask them that question, they probably say, "Ah, oh, you're a fascist," and it's like, "Okay then." <laughs> it's like yeah. if that's your answer. <laughs> they 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 will sometimes. I've had this a few times. Like I do, but I also support the determination of Crimea and Donbass. It's like right, if you do, then you understand that first of all. Most people did, or like I say, pre the invasion, did want to be part of Ukraine. And yeah. second of all, even if, if, even if hypothetically they did, right, you don't do an election down the barrel of a gun. You, you, no. you there are checks, there are processes. It's like, for example, uh, right, um, I might be sad if Scotland left the UK, um, but you know, if I, you know, but I also think that is their right to do so. But if, yeah. you know, it was done illegally, then I'd be like, no, that's wrong. Or the, or the other way around, if we kept them in with guns, I would also be like, no, that is wrong. You know, there, there, there were processes. We live in a democratic society of laws. You know, we have to respect that. So, so whenever people flip that, I get really annoyed. Like, no, you basically just bought Russian propaganda. And then you just know that you're wasting your time probably talking to these people. It's quite hard to convince them. Um, but it can be done. I think ultimately it comes down to uh framing and it comes down to how do you frame the argument because ultimately these people who support they they, some of them may not outright support russia but they don't support ukraine and that in itself is supporting russia but the problem i think is how you frame it is when you have to really chip away at them and say look you are supporting an imperialist invasion you are supporting a fascist, imperialist invasion from a country that denies the right of the individual. They deny economic democracy. You know, a lot of leftists who don't support Ukraine will talk about how, well, hasn't Ukrainian parliament banned a load of left-wing parties? And then you have to explain it's not left-wing parties they've banned. It's parties that 
were openly calling for Russia to invade them. And these parties happened, for the most part, to be on the left. But it was the authoritarian left that were basically red branch, you know? The, the, the thing is with these parties, they're not actually even that left-wing. They just basically, they were very socially right-wing a lot of the time, usually run yeah. by oligarchs and dodgy people who got rich back in the 90s. Like, mm. if, if anyone actually researches these parties, you realise that these aren't these these aren't any respectable leftist at all. <laughs> no, you know these aren't um, the, these aren't centre left parties that are being portrayed as right wing. The, these are right wing. These are oligarchs, like you say, who have benefited from taking wealth away from the Ukrainian people and the Russian people, and you know depending on where they started and just manipulate their power and if anything they follow the route of and this is this is going to need a bit of explaining when i say this they follow the route of the nazi party in that they call themselves socialists to bring the far left in mm -hmm. but they're not socialists they're saying it so they can just bring people on board to get this they want a veil of wide popular support from the left when in reality is they're not left they're just mm -hmm. they're taking you for a ride you know they're liars also the other thing is a lot of them like especially like in the former soviet countries well i mean the communist party has been banned in ukraine for quite a while now but the like these other like one of them i think it was the communist party they had a they had a campaign advertisement in like the 2000s i think it was they basically a woman goes to church and hmm. the priest is black and so like basically it's like vote communist or this will happen and basically they're tapping into this fear of that you know if you become too western you're going to become we're going to have black people and gay people and so these are very social reactionary people basically with tapping into a nostalgia of like the older generation using a lot of social conservatism these aren't and i find it really funny when i see like american leftists and british leftists you know the lgbt flags in their bio talking about like all these communist parties like, they've hated you like they, they do not yeah. like you it's just no <laughs> they, they, they would have they would have literally opposed your existence like i don't understand how on earth anybody on the left can support these old communist parties who in the reality is, you know, they've, I would say, bar maybe the odd exception, which I haven't read about, they were all like this. You know, they were all trying to keep society away. They were trying to keep their societies away from being too Western, which would have meant multiculturalism. Like, to tap into this a little bit, we actually saw this in 2016 in Britain, believe it or not. Oh, this is gonna this is gonna be fun now to say this. Um Eddie Dempsey. He gave his twenty sixteen speech at a left for Brexit campaign meeting where he said the liberal left put multiculturalism above British values. Now, what on earth does that mean? I have no idea. It Eddie Eddie Dempsey, of course, for anybody listening and doesn't know is the deputy general secretary of the RMT union, which is currently on strike over rail, rail workers pay 
whose own general secretary, Mick Lynch, said he said the EU and Ukraine could be blamed for the Russian invasion because they were playing with Nazi ideology and also doesn't think that the CCP is uh, killing Uyghur Muslims. So, I mean, and these are people who are lauded. They are literally held in such high regard by people on the left in Britain. Uh, and I think that's the problem is there's a lot of ignorance. There's a lot of, lot of uneducated ignorance on the left because they don't want to admit that the people they regard as heroes are actually incredibly flawed. And in fact, mm -hmm. maybe you have to reevaluate do you actually support these people? And the problem is it's it's not just the far left. I've got friends on the liberal left that also support these people because they say, oh, well, you know, they're a union leader and unions are having a hard time. Yeah, I understand that, but so are Uyghur Muslims, so are Ukrainians. <laughs> doesn't mean right. you stop, doesn't mean you support the people that say actually nothing bad's happened to them. It's, it's yeah, I, I can, well, can I just I'll interrupt here? Please. Because this is um, something that's quite close to my heart. I, being a Jewish person, is mm. um, seeing the Nazi Ukraine conspiracies being, it's just flooding the internet and it's, it's becoming quite annoying now. And but you see it being used by on the people on the left. They literally support fascists. So they will quite happily support Assad in Syria. Yeah. They will quite happily say that Iran is actually a communist country. <laughs> I, I can't work that one out. Um, and I've, I find all of it very, very hard to process. And I'm just trying to work out where this sort of Nazi thing has come from. Is it? Is it just the misinformation around the Azov? Is there something else going on here? I mean, is it something that's happened regularly in history where it's been used as an insult by people on the left? Um, I'm, I'm just interested in that because it's it's been a common theme, hasn't it, over the last year? I think it goes all the way back to Stalin about yeah. the whole Nazi in Ukraine because the excuse used by Stalin and Stalinists was for the longest time, especially around um, Holodomor, the excuse for the longest time was, oh no, it wasn't anything started by the state. It was uh, a famine that just happened. And then when that excuse didn't work anymore, Stalinists started saying, oh, well, they were Nazis because, you know, it was okay because they were Nazis because, you know, you had um, Bandera, wasn't it? You had this time. was before Bandera. Holodomor was before, but they, they did they did blame they they called them nationalists at this point. But yes, yeah. and, although it's Bandera wasn't that prominent in, in this period, um, right. they, they, but they did blame Ukrainian nationalists and Polish people and everyone they could. For, um, yeah, it was like bad weather, and then oh, the kulaks, the greedy kulaks, and then yes. it was the and, and then it was yes, the nationalists did it too. For reasons to make it worse, also yeah, it, it, it does go back to this period. Um, actually, because basically ever since 1921, when the Soviets took over Ukraine, for the first few years, actually, Ukraine was given a relative degree of freedom under the Soviet Union compared to what a lot of people thought. But that was mostly because Russia was kind of messed up. And that's a whole topic. Um, that's really interesting. 
but still not for today. Um, but basically, you know, there was always this uh, trying to repress the more radical pro-Ukrainians, and it did, and, the, and in World War Two and after World War Two, Khrushchev was basically in charge of crushing the nationalists and portraying them as Nazis. And I mean, this is a whole topic. Yes, there was some collaboration between the Nazis. I'm not going to deny that. But there wasn't most of the occupied regions of Eastern Europe because a lot of the time it was you were t- torn between which oppressor do you go for? Mm. Uh, also, also, I think a lot of people miss don't look at the history correctly. So um, usually what happened was there was a lot of collaboration when the Nazis first arrived because people thought, yay, we can get rid of the Russians who have been oppressing us for God knows how long. And then quite quickly they realize, no, these are also bad. So, yeah, basically, long story short, accusing like Ukrainians and actually the Baltics and other pieces as Nazis goes back to World War Two. Yeah. As Jack so said. this is okay. This is this is fascinating to me. Then so it's it's basically a core. This is runs yep. like a stick of rock. It runs through yep. the letters like stick of rock as to how Russia operates. It's no, this isn't shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. And it's no. definitely not true, and it's just something that they have always done to Ukraine and other parts of the yeah. Eastern Europe. This is yeah. this is what we're saying. Yeah. Okay. Oops, so sorry. people who are saying this are just are following the Russian line, and there's just no, there's nothing to it at all, and it's yeah, like they'll take like you know a few people who you could call Nazis, and then they'll somehow paint it as the whole of Ukraine or whatever. You know, this is what they do. Um, of course, in a country which is fighting, there's going to be people fighting for the country who might have far-right views. That's going to happen. Like, literally, inv- any, that's going to happen anywhere. Like, I don't know why this is a surprise to yeah. anyone. But it is, it's being used to undermine support, basically, yes, in, on the left. And this is... Because yeah. I see it all the time, and this is the main... This is why it's in this podcast, is because it's undermining... It's being used to undermine support on the left, isn't it? My cousin's family around the start of World War Two, they so they were from Poland and my cousin's great grandfather was killed by Stalin. Uh, he was one of the victims of uh, Katyn. And mm. the excuse given to me only a few years ago by Stalinists when I said, How can you support a man who did this to innocent people? Their excuse was Oh, well, how do you know he wasn't an anti-Semite? How do you know he wasn't a Nazi? And I said, first off, how dare you? Um, second, this man was a judge that literally presided over cases where anti-Semites would be criminals, and he would find them guilty for he would find people guilty for their crimes. And he was taken by Stalin and shot in a forest and put in a mass grave along with Jewish people, along with other Poles. You know, how on earth they can... It it boils my blood, basically, is what I'm Mm -hmm. saying, is that it's almost as if... It's almost as if the far left just now use it as an excuse to say, oh, well, we killed these people because they were fascists. Well, yeah. you don't know that. <laughs> you you don't know that for at all if they were. And they weren't. You know, I can say that my cousin's great-grandfather, from what we know of him, 
he wasn't a fascist. He hated right. fascists and he opposed the Nazis and he also hated Stalin. He suddenly gets killed and suddenly Stalinists say, oh, he was a, he was a fascist. It's like, <laughs> that's not yeah. how it works. Uh, let's, you said you have your theory about the left yes. and let's, let's get into that. And then I think we'll talk about that and then what we can learn and what the left should learn. And then I think we'll probably be wrapping up. So let's hear your theory about the, the state of the left, let's say. Right. Here we go. Uh, it comes back to Stalinism. Everything for me, everything bad on the left comes back to Stalinism because obviously you know a lot more than myself here, Joe. So I feel like I'm talking to some, I feel, I feel like I'm talking down to somebody who knows a lot more. So it's a bit, I'm a bit embarrassed, no, no, but like, um, fine. it's like, obviously there was the divide between Stalin and Trotsky and Trotsky was exiled. And Stalinism became the overarching ideology of the Soviet Union. As we know, a lot of communist parties in Britain in the, uh, I want to say, 30s, 40s and 50s were had, had ties to the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, and they obviously would have adopted Stalinism. Now, the problem is, these parties that adopted Stalinism, a lot of their members started uh, infiltrating the bigger parties of the left. And what was the biggest party of the left at the time? The Labour Party. Well, what did we see as time went on? We started to see the rise of militant, which they said they were Trotskyists, but quite frankly, everything they did was Stalinist. They literally had control from their own HQ, they set up a party within a party, they believed that they would have to be the people that they knew what the working class needed. They sent, to quote New Kinnock, they were hiring taxis around the city, handing out redundancy notices to their own workers as a way to stick it to Thatcher. It's like, that was one example of how Stalinism infiltrated the law. And then when you need to look at what Stalinism is, it's the idea that anybody to the right of you is a social fascist. And we saw this in Nazi Germany when Stalin basically told, Stalin told the German far left, do not vote. Do not work with the social democrats. If you work with the Nazis, we can use this opportunity to build a workers paradise in Germany. That ideology has spilled over across the world. That ideology, especially in Britain, still exists because we saw this under Corbyn, who brought in Stalinist Seamus Mill, who brought in Stalinist Andrew Murray. The idea that if you do not agree with us, you are against us. And that has always been the crux of Stalinism because of his own, his own worry of constantly thinking somebody was going to screw him over or somebody's going to try and kill him for power. And the thing is, it's embedded itself into the British left. And there are times where we pull away. We saw this with, as much as I love the guy, I can't say it was, I can't say Wilson wasn't impacted by it to a point, uh, Howard Wilson, mainly because he did kind of allow 
certain far leftists to get into the party, like, for example, Tony Benn. But we saw this under under Clement Attlee, James Callaghan, Tony Blair, you know, these people that who were leader, and they basically said no to Stalinism. And Neil Kinnock as well, obviously, but he wasn't in power. And then we look at people that were softer on Stalinism, and they allowed it to regrow, to, to grow again under uh, the banner of Labour, which really does kind of encompass the left as a whole, or at least the majority of the left. Ed Miliband, for as much as I love the guy on his views on energy, he very much allowed for the rehabilitation of the far left, I guess you could say, because of the fact that, you know, obviously given who his father is, it was very much a case of him trying to say, no, no, these aren't our enemy, these are our friends. It's like, that should not have been allowed. Like, that should not have been the case. He should never have tried to rehabilitate any of the far left. Obviously Corbyn, because Corbyn. (laughs) Um, And then we see the social movements in the UK with Stop the War, CND, No to NATO, um, I'm trying to think of any other movements that do this in the UK. I think those are the main three that come to mind, but they are very much Stalinist in their view, in that if you don't agree with us, you're against us. If you don't agree with us, you're imperialists. If you don't agree with us, you're the enemy. And I think that is the problem, is that it's kind of what Matt said about about anti-Semitism on the left because of Soviet Union, it's a stick of rock that runs through the British left. And I think the sad reality is we're never going to be able to get rid of it. I don't think we'll ever be able to rid ourselves of Stalinism. What I think we can do is build a popular front that is big enough to drown it out. And that's what we did before. We did that under Tony Blair. We did that for three elections on the trot. We Blair in his final, I want to say it was his final term, either that or penultimate term, he literally did a call to One Nation Conservatives. And he said, as Labour leader, One Nation Conservatives are our friends. They want to see a fair functioning society with a strong economy and civil rights for all. And I thought that is perfect because he's literally bringing down these barriers, these Stalinist barriers, and then Corbyn put them back up, Miliband put them back up, Starmer's bringing them back down again. And I don't think you're ever going to be able to get rid of those barriers, but I think you can get them small enough where we can step over them and we can say, you're not an issue anymore. Like, you, we don't have to listen to you. I've ranted a little bit in my theory, but yeah, basically, to wrap it, to, to TLDR, Stalinism is right. Stalinism has always been a case in the UK since the Soviet Union. It's always going to be a case in the UK. We just need to find a way to build a popular movement that will drown it out and basically push them back to the fringes where they belong. Uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I mean, I'm not a fan of Blair for many reasons, but I do think you've got, you, you definitely like touched on some things that are really like valid about. The, the attitude of a lot of the left is sort of a absolute moralism. Um, and I think it is dang- it's a dangerous view. It is a dangerous view. And it's amazing that it's still got space among the left who is meant to be, well, the liberal left has no scope for that. But, you know, the, the whole, to me, being left wing is about, you know, 
there's maybe like equality and mm. fairness and opportunity not about building walls and saying no we are right everyone else is wrong and we can and we have the right to use the state to tell you what to do that's like no <laughs> uh can we just talk about the conservatives just for a yeah, second just yeah, say because okay. i mean i I'll, i i'm quite happy to do that because um i'm not i've never been a fan of boris johnson personally I, I thought brexit was a disaster although my ukrainian friends point out that the eu didn't actually send 50 million light bulbs to ukraine during the big attacks on the infrastructure um and so i this is this uh, last year has completely destroyed so many of my views and seeing the eu say here you go here's 50 million light bulbs whilst these drones were blowing up the power station um made me rethink some of the attitudes that i had towards the eu as well mm -hmm. um and the eu should seriously consider not doing that sort of thing again and perhaps stepping up their support as well otherwise yes the they lost a lot of fans in Ukraine because of the light bulbs. I think um, that was a disgrace. But um, the, so Boris Johnson, hero in Ukraine, I'm going to praise him and say well done, and that's the most I can do. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well done. It's, well, I'll never forgive you for everything else that you did, but well done. Yeah, it's it is strange. Like yeah, it is one thing that I think. Because back in the UK, I don't know many people anymore. I know long-standing Conservative Party voters, none of whom like this current government, none of whom are certain they will vote Tory anymore uh, for various reasons we don't need to go into. But I and other people I know who generally are not fans of the Conservative Party have raised uh, the, the attitude to Ukraine sending weapons. There's some things I think could do for that could have been better. I think the immigration thing like with the refugees could have been a lot smoother. Um, but still, I think we, yes, we can. And it's weird to say that. And I wonder, Jack, yeah, what is your view? From a left-wing perspective, is it strange to be in a, where you out the Conservative government are doing something good? And uh, what does that mean? <laughs> so I don't think it's strange only because the Tories have this weird duality where they are, to put it bluntly, shit on um, domestic issues. But outside of Ukraine, when we look at how they handle uh, China pushing its, you know, its own will upon Hong Kong and Taiwan, Bhutan, Nepal, they're very good on these issues and it seems to have carried over to Ukraine and I will be the first to say much like with Matt I can't stand Boris Johnson I, I, I'm very honest about it I think he's a horrible man that quite frankly needs to be held accountable for his failings not only as PM but also as a politician and you could argue as a man but um, I think when it comes to Ukraine I think he had the right idea, which was get in front now, help Ukraine. The reasons behind why he did it, you know, that they can be disputed until the cows come out. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, and I was making, I was having this discussion with another leftist on Twitter the other day, in that I don't think why he did it matters because 
what matters here is that he did it. And what matters mm -hmm. is that the weapons got to Ukraine, the solidarity got to Ukraine. And if anything, I can't believe I'm about to say these words, he's put a lot of the left to shame because he did what a lot of the left should have done from the first place, which is stand with Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, there have been leftists who have been good, as we've discussed. But yes, um, it, it was, it, yeah, I, I don't have anything to add. I think that's really well put. I think we are nearing the end. Matt, do, does anyone have anything to add before we wrap up? I think that was perfect. Yeah, I think it was a very good conversation. So, um, first of all, Jack, do you want to give any shout outs to anything before we leave? Also, something I asked last time, I think it was cut in the edit, Pingu. Um, do you have any particular causes you think that, that people should donate to? Uh, so, the first one I'll say is the quick shout out. Uh, shout out to the think tank I work for, Centre Think Tank. We have got an event coming up soon on Welsh Devolution. Uh, so please do make sure to check that out. And as for causes to donate to, I do. There is one in particular I've been helping to promote for a while. It's a British cause based in Cardiff, uh, UK4UA. It is a group of, it is, this is, this is from the official website. We are the army of donors, people, logistics companies, and owner drivers helping relay much needed medicines and supplies to Poland and Ukraine. They help and provide, they provide help and advice for getting aid to Ukrainian people. And they also help with the procurement of essential medical supplies. I will make sure to pass the link on to you both so you can help, uh, send it out. I also have the link on my profile page on Twitter. You can find it at, uh, at Wales for Ukraine. And yeah, I would recommend, uh, helping them because obviously we have a lot of causes which help Ukraine, but I've seen firsthand the good these people do. I've seen the people that work with them. It's a lot of Labour politicians in Wales, a lot of Plaid Cymru, uh, a lot of trade unions as well. It's a very much a, it's not, it's not an entirely leftist campaign as there are people across the spectrum that help. But I found a lot of the left tend to work with these people as well to help them get essential, uh, non-lethal supplies over to Ukraine. Uh, so yeah, I would recommend UK for UA. Uh, I would add actually something, um, speaking of groups that have a lot of leftists, if you are a leftist or if you are not a leftist, but you would like to, and you're in the UK especially, the Ukraine Solidarity Campaign has a very significant amount of, of unionists. And I think it was uh, John McDonnell had a big thing uh, with founding it. This is a group with a lot of unionists and leftists that are pro-Ukraine. So if you feel uh, you are on the left and you are a bit homeless because you see all these mad 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 people that is a place for you to find no one's going to convert you to anything so if you're not a leftist this is also a good campaign to get involved in mm. that's all i have to say matt anything you want to add just do a little shout out to a tiny tiny american group called dsa north star and they retweeted jack um a while back and they seem to be a lone voice on the american in the american um left supporting ukraine so i'm gonna go and say if you are on the left and in america go and check out dsa north star 
Thank you, Jack, for joining us. That was a really interesting conversation. Um, and this episode will be out not too long, I hope, a lot less than the first episode. So, yeah, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, mate.